Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. All right, welcome to another episode of Music Makers. Now, Music Makers may be a bit of, of a misnomer today, uh, but all the time we're going to be talking about something that at least pertains to music, okay? Just stay with me for a minute. William Lee Martin, formerly known as Cowboy Bill, has an impressive resume. He's toured with country stars George Strait, Brad Paisley, Rascal Flatts, Loretta Lynn, and the late, great George Jones. He can, by the way, write a country song, but it's his comedy that's made him famous. He's also toured with all four of the Blue Collar Comedy Tour stars. He has a show coming up at the Waco Hippodrome on December 18th. William Lee Martin, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you. I, uh, this, this is actually our house. Our house was like a Hallmark and a Hobby Lobby had a baby in here. So, uh... <laughs> Well, it looks great. You look very festive and I appreciate that. Hey, tell me about this show coming up at the, at the Hippodrome, uh, a Christmas Christmas themed show, I would imagine. It is, you know, uh, my I, I have a special out on Amazon Prime uh, that came out in 2019 called uh, The Nutcracker. And uh, it was very uh, Christmas centric. And then we started touring for the last four or five years with this show. But this year is completely different in the fact that it's more like a variety show. So there's stand-up comedy. I have two great stand-up comics also doing comedy with me. Plus we're doing sketch comedy and we're doing sing-along and music. We brought a singer-songwriter with us named uh, J.D. Munson, who's just absolutely destroying it. You know, we've done it in other theaters. And the good news is it's been selling out everywhere, but the better news is people have been giving us standing ovations at the end. So it's really, it really is a throwback to the 70s variety kind of show. And that's what I really wanted to create. Uh, are you done with your Christmas shopping? No. I know, I always say I'm gonna get done early and I never do. I always end up in a Texaco at Christmas Eve at midnight going, well, I think grandma would like beef jerky. <laughs> she only had some teeth and uh... All right, so, um... You're originally from Blue Mound, Texas, and you spent a lot of time kicking around the Lone Star State. Tell us how you, you got into this business to begin with. Well, I, I wrote advertising for nine years out of, out of college, and I hated every minute of it. You know, and I, I used to look out my floor floor window thinking, well, floor floor is kill me or just break my leg. And it was never a good break either. Even in my mind, it's like high up on the leg where you'd have to have a body cast and a catheter. <laughs> and, and uh, one day I lost my job in advertising. We all lost our jobs in advertising. Uh, 28 people got fired on a Tuesday. And, uh, uh, you know, it was my grandmother who said, what do you want to do? And I said, I don't know. She said, go home and look in the mirror and ask yourself, are you happy? You're almost 30 years old and I never see you smile. And I like to say I did that, but I didn't. I went home and I stayed in the fetal position for five and a half months. Would have been six, but unemployment ran out in five and a half back then. And a uh, true story, UPS driver comes next door, and I go next door to tell him that I got fired. I was supposed to get a package for my friend who was out of town, my next-door neighbor, but I really went over there with only the objective to share my pity story uh, with him, right? And I told him I was fired, didn't know I was going to make ends meet, what I was going to do with my life. And he looked at me like, good, that's one less box I'll bring out here. 
right? And completely dejected, I went in the house and I turned off the phone, the television, all the distractions. And I got about 18 inches away from the mirror and I simply asked myself, am I happy? And I truly believe I had a, a conversation with God that day and uh, I called my grandmother four hours later after a long talk uh, with myself and, and, and God. And I said, you know, since I was five years old, I wanted to be on stage and television, radio and print. And she said, go for it. And I said, what if I lose the house? She said, buy you another one, boy. She said, I don't want you to be 30 or 50 or 80 and go through the would have, could have, or should have. And this is from a woman that found out that she had a tumor on her lung about the size of my fist and dying of lung cancer. And, and, uh, and, and that was it. I mean, that was May 17, 1996 was my first time on stage. And this is now my 25th year of stand-up comedy. And we've, we've been able to produce, you know, three television specials now. And, and uh, we got a whole lot of people following us on social media. And, and uh, it really has been a great ride. So I go back, it's Christmas Eve, 1974, y'all. Uh, my mama had sent me and my brother to bed early. That's what mamas do on Christmas Eve, don't you? You better get in that bed. That Santa Claus is a coming. It's like two o'clock in the afternoon, right? And uh... Tell me about when you realized, hey, I'm funny enough to do this for a living. Tell me about your grade school days. Uh, I could see you kind of being a, a class clown. What was that like? Ow. I wasn't, and, and believe it or not, most stand-ups weren't class clown. Now, impressionists are, <laughs> but not stand-ups. Uh, stand-ups a little bit different because stand-up can be very, very personal. And uh, it, you know, I didn't, I didn't even think about stand-up comedy until I was probably 28 or 29. I, in school, I was a skinny, buck-toothed kid and got picked on relentlessly. And uh, and you know I, I was smart and and and, and uh, that didn't help either. If you want to get picked on in school, especially in Texas, you know back in the 70s, and uh, so it, it really didn't blossom until I, I became an adult. So uh, it, you know for me it it was a late bloomer. You know at age 30. I got four girls and one boy. The boy's 28 years old. He's got his degree from Stephen F. Boston there in Nacogdoches. <laughs> Me and that boy only had one big argument. That was his freshman year in high school, y'all. He took French in Texas. <laughs> I told the boy, I said, don't you realize we got 14 million people in our state alone that speak Spanish fluently? He said, Daddy, I don't know about them numbers, but there are 29 girls taking French and me. <laughs> Now, the foundation that you started with your wife, Cowboys Who Care, you give really nice cowboy hats to sick kids. Why is this such an important mission to you? Well, you know, we started Cowboys Who Care, and thanks for bringing it up. We started Cowboys Who Care about eight or nine, almost 10 years ago now, I guess. Uh, and it started with a young lady named Ashley Miller. Her parents were fans of mine and asked me to put my name on a golf tournament. We were happy to do that and get to know Ashley. And then she had a rare form of cancer, and then uh, her cancer goes into remission, and it came back with a vengeance. And she lost her battle with cancer in June of 2011. My wife and I have five kids, and we saw what the Millers went through, and we knew we wanted to help, and we, we just didn't know how. And then one day I was at home, and I just Googled kids with cancer images, kind of opened it up to the universe, right? And I had all these big, bright, beautiful faces, beautiful smiles, and bald heads. And in the mirror, I could see my cowboy hat, and that's when it hit me. Well, these kids need cowboy hats. What, 
what seven-year-old wants to wear a wig? But what seven-year-old wouldn't want to wear a cowboy hat? So we started Cowboys Who Care Foundation, a nonprofit organization, and we got Resist All involved, and they've been our biggest sponsor and our biggest supporter. Uh, and we've been able to deliver a little over 10,000 cowboy hats. And, and obviously with the pandemic, you know, getting into the hospitals have, have made it very difficult now. But we, we, we pivot and, you know, you learn and you adapt. And now we have a new program called Request a Hat. So all you have to do is go to cowboyswhocare.org cowboyswhocare.org and click the request a hat button and if if uh, you know god forbid that your child has cancer or life-threatening illness uh, we still want to send them a hat even though we can't get into the hospitals right now so you just got to fill out the form and we'll send that child a free cowboy hat uh as long as they follow un, uh, under our umbrella and uh, uh no shipping no handling we're not putting you on a mailing list or anything else we just want to put a smile on a kid's face Wow, 10,000 hats, that's a lot of hats. I appreciate you for doing that. Now you mentioned the, uh, the pandemic. Just about everyone had a bit of a hi hiatus during this lockdown. Uh, how does it feel to be able to bring a little laughter, a little joy to the crowds of people again? Well, you know, it, it has been important, uh, but you know, it, it's, it's funny. We had two specials come out in uh, November and December of 2019. And then we all know what happened in 2020, right? Uh, March of 2020. And, uh, you know, both sides deemed me uh, non-essential, uh, which was probably the hardest thing to take. But uh, 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 I had a friend of mine who said, you know, you, you just need to turn on your computer and talk to the folks since you can't go out and tour and support this thing. And and uh, we just started talking. We didn't talk about hoaxes. We didn't talk about theories or who's right and who's wrong. We just talked about how to get through the day. And we went from about 40,000 followers on Facebook to, you know, uh, close to, you know, what, 500,000, I think, half a million. And uh, uh, it, it really was to reach out and talk to folks. And, and then I got serious about other things. You know, your segments about music. Well, I've been writing songs since I was five years old, and I really got real serious about it and uh, started doing song rights uh, with people in Nashville and obviously here in Texas. And I, I signed a publishing deal in Nashville uh, that probably wouldn't have happened if I wouldn't have been locked into the house and uh, had to do something other than tell stand-up comedy. So I, I'm now a published songwriter and, and we're, we're putting out, you know, songs with uh, different folks and having them uh, cut. And then in 2022, looks like to be a big year. Oh, nice. Well, especially um, in, in these days, so many com uh, comedians rely on, on vulgarity and profanity to get a laugh. Is it more difficult not to rely on that crutch? Because your, your show might be on the fringe sometime, but it's always clean. Yeah, you know, uh, for the first five years, I worked clean. And then the next 15, uh, not so much. And then uh, I had a CMT special come out, and it had every language in it that you could possibly imagine. You know, I, I joked all the time that uh, it, it, when they bleeped it on, on, on air, uh, it, it sometimes sounded like the, uh, the, uh, the you know, the uh, telegraph worker on the Titanic. <laughs> and uh, I was out mowing the grass one day. Again, it, it was just uh, having that deep conversation. I was mowing the grass and I was, you know, I was praying about it, honestly. And, and uh, I was like, God, why don't you let me grab the brass ring? You let a lot of other guys grab it and, and they don't work clean, so obviously there's not a morality clause in there. And uh, just as you and I are talking, you know, uh, the voice in my head said, listen, I, I put you out there and you could do anything with your career. And the only thing that you're willing to change is go back by your real name and you want me to work the miracle. You're waiting on me. I'm waiting on you. So I made wholesale changes to the act about five years ago. 
and it wasn't as hard as I, I told everybody it was going to be. It it uh, it truly is. Uh, it, you know, you really have to get creative sometime, and and I like walking that edge a little bit. But you know, you get to that edge and and, and just let everybody else fill in the blanks, and uh, it's it's uh, it's a lot more fun to to see them understand the joke. Ah, very good. Well, tell us. Uh, we're about to wrap up here, but tell us one more time what we uh, can expect at this show. Well, you're going to get uh, everything from, uh, it's an old-timey variety show. It's kind of like what I, uh, I told everybody else. Uh, my parents used to throw these great parties in the 70s with the hi-fi going and everybody singing, and uh, my uncle's telling jokes. The only thing difference between that and what we're doing is that there's not smoking in the room, and my uncle won't be passed out under the tree at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> William Lee Martin, it's been a, a pleasure. Return to the Nutcrackers coming up at the Hippodrome Saturday, December 18th. You can contact the Hippodrome for more information. William, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Take care. And that's going to wrap us up for another episode of Music Makers.